my children wouldn't participate in Pink Day. Oh, they're against bullying, all right. And they are against bullying homosexuals. But they are not for supporting homosexuality as something that's okay with God, which is what that day is actually about. And so, when they were about the only ones not wearing pink on Pink Day, they got razzed by their students, but by their teachers for standing up for what they believed in. They got bullied on No Bullying Day. Um, a couple years ago, they, they passed out a, a few soccer camp flyers to their friends at school. But when the teacher saw that the, it was about a, the, the camp was a Christian-based camp, the teacher went and told the principal. The principal um, came in and took all the flyers away from any kid that had been given one. At Christmas time, um, most religions, or all religions, are, are, are given some exposure to, to, I guess, describe or explain what it is they, their faith celebrates. But it seems around here that Christianity is only allowed to um, share about Christmas that it's about Santa, not a manger. And Easter is about bunnies, not Jesus rising from the dead. If you work in a bank, you aren't allowed to put a, a Christian symbol on your desk or on your wall. And if you work at a lot of other offices, I'm going to guess they might have the same policy. But you're certainly allowed to wear all kinds of things on your head for other religions. The, the media seems to protect the rights of about any religion going except Christianity. How easy has our government made it for us to build a Christian church here? How accepted is Christianity in our community, in our society here today? How easy uh, have your neighbors, have your coworkers made it for you to be Christian? How, um, how open how openly can you, how freely are you allowed to share Jesus? To, to speak about what is so important to you? Here's the bottom line. It's not easy being a Christian in our world today, is it? It certainly was not easy for the people that Peter was writing this letter to to be Christians in the world they were living in. In fact, the main reason Peter wrote this letter was to encourage Christians who were being put under some severe pressure to renounce their faith. Peter was writing this letter to, to, uh, to people who could be arrested and imprisoned and held without bail and without rights for any length of time. People who, um, people who could be physically abused by their captors. People who could be subject to the seizure of all their land and property. Who could um, be exiled out of the country. People who could be um, sent to work in government mines as slaves. And finally, even killed for no other reason than the fact that they were Christians. So, 
Peter offered a living hope in a hostile world. He offered living hope for Christians in a hopeless world. Can we relate? Can we relate to this letter? Does this letter have some use for us? And that's why I just tried bringing some of those things out. You could probably add all your own stories. Um, and there's just, I just touched on some things happening with my children. But can we not relate to needing some living hope because the world we live in isn't necessarily that excited about Jesus Christ and Christianity? And, and that's why I think this letter is so fitting for us today. I think we can relate. We also live in a hostile and hopeless world. Might look different. The persecution might look different than the ones, than the persecution that was happening to the people Peter was writing to, but it's all the same. Jesus said, people will hate you because of me. So we live in a hostile and hopeless world, but we have a living hope. Listen to verses 18 and 19. For you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. We were redeemed from that empty way of life. Now, Peter was writing his letter to Jews and Greeks or Gentiles. Think of how empty the way of life was for those Jewish people. They, they, they really were under this heavy yoke of religion. If you know anything, they had to keep all these rules from all these rabbis in order to make sure that they were uh, making God happy and they were in God's good graces. They had to follow all of these rituals and rituals to help them follow rituals, but rituals that had been emptied of God. Empty. But if you were a Greek probably even more empty way of life. If you were Greek, uh, your destiny was decided by three mysterious women called the three fates. And then you would wander about in, uh, aimlessly in, in Hades for an eternity. Hopeless and empty. But can you guys see how empty life without God is today? I mean, can't we see the emptiness of life without God today, the pursuit of things, stuff, status, power. I mean, how um, we, we, we putting countless hours in at work. For what? We try building empires and legacies here. For what? We get so caught up um, in the things of this world. I mean, finally, and it is the greatest joy that we look forward to being able to sit down and, and be entertained by some show. Or, or having a certain kind of food, certain kind of drink, or obtaining a new toy. So all these things, which are wonderful for us to enjoy as children of God, but do you see that how different it is if they are an end in and of themselves? That that's all we have to look forward to? How depressing that would be? How empty that would be? Because all those things, they, the show is over, the, the food runs out, the, the new toy breaks, and we're left with emptiness. Life without God is, is the most empty thing we can imagine. Okay? Empty. The, the way of life that this world offers promises good that it never delivers. It's empty. Jesus redeemed us. That means he bought us back from that. He rescued us from that empty way of life. 
Jesus bought you. He paid the price to buy you to be his own. And the price was his precious blood. You see, he loves you and I so much that he saw you helplessly trapped in a hopeless, dead-end world that you couldn't get out of. An empty way of life that you and I couldn't pull ourselves up and out of. And he was willing to pay the ultimate price to free us from that. To set us free. And that ultimate price was his blood. Which is more valuable than anything that's going to perish. Verses 20 and 21. He was chosen before the creation of the world but was revealed in these last times for your sake. I mean, he's talking to Jewish people. They had to choose their lamb on, it was Palm Sunday, on that 10th day of Nisan, they would choose the lamb, the lamb, and then on the 14th day, they would sacrifice it. Okay, he's saying, no, no, this one was chosen before the creation of the world. And through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him, and so your faith and hope are in God. So God raised Jesus from the dead. And, and, that means, that means that God has openly accepted Jesus as our substitute. That means your sins are forgiven. That means your price has been paid. That means you have been set free. And that means that your faith and hope are in God. Anchored in God. The faith that God has given us in Jesus anchors us into eternal life with God. That's, and that's something that never ends. That's something that's imperishable. Our hope wasn't secured by, you know, uh, by shekels and coins and silver and gold. They, when, they, when, the, when the Israelites came, um, every year they had, to, they had to pay the half shekel to ransom themselves. And that, the funds from that would go to uh, pay for the daily lamb sacrifice. So they, they were used to the idea of redeeming themselves with, with coins. But we were not redeemed with coins we were not redeemed with shekels or silver or gold or anything that doesn't last we were redeemed with the precious blood of jesus and we weren't brought to faith by something that perishes either we were brought to faith by the word of god the living and enduring word of god that lasts forever so our hope is living our hope lasts forever since we were born again of imperishable things, that means that we will never perish. As John 3.16 tells us. So, therefore, 13 and 14, the beginning now. Therefore, and that was all what was laid down in front of us. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Be self-controlled. Set your hope fully on the grace to be given you when Jesus Christ is revealed. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. So, therefore, since you have been given this living hope, the living hope of Easter, and if you remember the last line from our intern sermon last Sunday, since even angels long to look into these things. And here's the next word, therefore. Therefore, what does it say? Prepare your minds for action. Now, the original language says, gird up your loins, gird up the loins of your mind for action. Gird up your loins. Yeah, there's some snickering because who talks like that? It just sounds awkward, doesn't it? 
Gird up your loins. It's awkward for us. It's weird and strange for us. It wasn't for them. I, I suppose I can demonstrate because I have. A, I've, they wore tunics, which was a, a like something like this. It was a long, loose robe, outer robe. And so, if I was going to go to work right now, or I was going to go run a race, or do something that required action, I'd have to probably do something about that. So, when they when it's time for them to go to work or do something active, get into action, they would take the long, loose part of their robe and they would tuck them up into their belt. They would gird up their loins and tuck them into the belt. And that would now free the legs to be able to walk and action and work and do whatever it is. This would obviously impede motion, right? I would trip, I would hurt myself, I'd get fall. But when, when the loins are girded, now they, nothing's going to impede the motion. Now I can get to action. Okay, so gird up your loins is that's what you did when you were going to get to work or when you're going to do something that required action. So we might say, uh, roll up your sleeves and get to work. But I, I think there's even a more accurate uh, modern day equivalent of this. So if you're one of those young men who wears uh, sagging pants, the low riding jeans, okay, you might look cool to your buddies, all right? But if I were to hire you to do a job for me, you know what I would tell you? I would tell you to pull up your pants and get to work. All right? Because you can't work with your pants falling off. You can't walk. You can't bend over. You can't go three seconds without reaching behind to scooch those things up and we wouldn't get anything done. So pull up your pants. Gird up your loins. And the idea with this is don't let anything get in the way of you doing what you need to do. Prepare your minds for action. Gird up your loins. Get ready for action because you, you, you got the sense of the persecution going on then and now. Living the Christian life in our hostile and hopeless world today and back then is not a walk in the park. As God's children who have been bought by Jesus' precious blood and given the hope of eternal life, we need to be prepared. We need to be ready. All right? Because we're going to be assailed on every side. We need to be prepared for action. And then, but this is the big one. Never forgetting this. Set your hope, it says, fully. Set your hope totally on the grace that God has given you in Jesus that will be so apparent and obvious when Jesus returns. When our hope is in Jesus, whom we know is returning, it gives us a, a whole different mindset with which to live life. It gives us the mindset that we're not just sitting around here like this world is all that we have, like this is everything there is. But it gives us the mindset that, hey, um, we're just, you know, we're setting up a tent. We're just visiting here for a little while, but we don't belong here. And, and that's the main point that I'm pulling out of this text today, that we we're strangers here on this earth. We, we, we're, we're here for a while. We have a job to do here, but we don't belong here. And when our hope is set fully in the Jesus who rose from the dead, it helps us with the mindset of knowing, yeah, I do have, I belong somewhere else. I don't belong here. Then it says, I don't conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. As Christians, we don't trust our desires. We trust in God's word. 
but, but I, know, I know how it is for probably everyone here, right? We, we, want to, we want to be obedient children of God, to thank him for what he's done, but we, we're so prone to slipping back into our old habits and our old ways. Maybe, maybe it's because you're discouraged with living the Christian life. Maybe, maybe it's because you have weakness with lust or greed or selfishness. Maybe it's because there's a certain thing that you just think you have to have. Or maybe it's just because your life is a train wreck and you think, you feel that, that your old habits are where you're going to go to find comfort. But listen, don't do it. Don't do it. You have been anchored into something different, something eternal. You've been given a different hope. You've been anchored into this living hope because of Jesus. So don't go back into that old way of life that God rescued us from. Live in the realm of this living hope that you have with Jesus. Be different from the world that you aren't part of anyway. Be holy, it says. Be holy. Listen, God has already made you holy. You're already holy on the inside. So now the outside should start looking like the inside. Verse, uh, look at verse 17. We're going to concentrate on that one. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. We aren't supposed to look like the world. We're, we're, we're supposed to be different from the world. We are strangers here in this world. Hope makes us strangers. Our hope makes us strangers here. The, the living hope we have because Jesus rose again from the dead has anchored us into this eternal life with God and has made our home somewhere else. All right, This isn't our home. Heaven is our home. Okay, We are strangers here. We don't live here. We're just visiting here. So let's live like it. But we, we so often don't, right? We, we, often, we so often don't live like we have hope. We don't live like we're just passing through. We're just visiting here. But, but actually, we, we a lot of times live like this is it. And we hang on to everything we can because this is it. We get so caught up in the here and now. Um, just the, the temporary and trivial stuff that fills our time, huh? If, if you were to, I mean, this would be embarrassing for each one of us, if you were to replay the, the video of, I don't know why I did that, but if you're going to replay the video of your one day, what it is that your mind thinks about over the course of one day, I don't think you'd want to share that with anybody. And I think we'd be shocked to see how much of it is, is really centered on... Um, temporary, fleeting stuff. I mean, how much time do we really spend centering ourselves on this eternal hope we've been anchored into by Jesus, defeating death for us and giving us a home that lasts forever? How often do we live just centered on, oh, that's where I live, and so while I'm here, I'm going to do this and this and this to help others go there, but that's where I live, and I'm just not going to be bothered by what's happening down here. But no, we get bothered pretty well by what's happening down here all the time. Um, how important really is, the, is that next thing we acquire when I'm living with the realization that Jesus has acquired me? And fear. 
Why do we get so afraid of so many things? The believer fears God and so has nothing else to fear. And worry. I mean, would we really worry about job, home, car, health, reputation, what we're having for dinner tonight? Will my team win? Will this person like me? If I'm living with the realization that I'm anchored into eternal life with God because of the living hope of Easter. And, and don't we often feel like we're um, wandering about without any purpose? That we're aimlessly wandering about in this life and we don't really know what our purpose is? W- would I really be purposeless when I know that my hope is anchored in a living Lord who has defeated death for me? When I'm living with the living hope of Easter and I'm anchored into that? Friends, hope, and I'm talking about the living hope of Easter, makes us strangers here. It gives us a whole different mindset with which to live. And, and uh, there's, here's a wonderful way to just illustrate this. One of my favorite stories is the Shawshank Redemption. And it's really, it's really a metaphor of the redemption that Christ won for us. In the story, the main character, Andy Dufresne, is unjustly arrested, tried, condemned, and beaten. And when he arrives at prison, he isn't, he isn't very, there's nothing really impressive looking about him to Red, the guy, who's gonna, the guy who narrates the story. But as, as Red watches Andy, it, it, it grows into wonder. And uh, in a brutal world, he, he's kind. In a... Um, he's this really a man of hidden strength, even though he doesn't look like much. He's a man of hidden strength who's always being kind, always helping other people out. He, even, he creates a library. He even helps his captors with their taxes. He's not anxious about anything. Strolls like a, like a man in the park without a worry or care, Red says. At one point, Andy ascends into the warden's office and plays Mozart over the intercom. And for a transcendent moment, every man, every prisoner remains motionless in in unexpected glory as the music fills the place. For the briefest of moments, every prisoner at Shawshank feels free, Red confesses. But Andy and Red have this kind of running argument about hope. Andy says that, that music is is a very important thing at prison. Maybe, maybe more important at prison than anywhere else because music reminds us of an unseen reality that the powers of prison cannot touch. And Red asks what he's talking about. And Andy says, hope. And Red says that hope is a dangerous thing. Hope can drive a man insane. And Andy says, no, hope is a good thing, maybe the best thing, and no good thing ever dies. Now, Red might actually be right about I hope so kind of hope. If you spend your time hoping for something that's never going to come, that probably will drive you insane. But I know so hope is an entirely different thing. See, that prison wasn't their home. They had something better waiting for them. 
But, but it's, it's really hard to keep that better thing waiting for them in mind when you're behind those prison walls. And so they needed something from the outside to remind them of that. This earth isn't our home. All right? We have something better waiting for us. But we also, we need something else to remind us of that because... It's kind of hard to keep in mind that our home is somewhere else. It's kind of hard to keep in mind that something better is waiting for us with how difficult this world makes things for us. We have been, by the resurrection of Jesus, anchored into an eternal hope, living hope, that promises there is a better and there is a perfect reality that truly is waiting for us. But it's kind of hard to see that, you know, in in the daily run of our life here. And so we need something that isn't from this world. We need something that is not perishable to remind us of that. We need the living and enduring word of God, which is imperishable, which lasts forever, to keep this I-know-so hope alive in our hearts. That's exactly what it does. Now back to the story. Um, Andy was persecuted by um, the warden, a pharisaical, Bible-quoting hypocrite who hands Andy a Bible and says, salvation lies within. And in the end, salvation does lie in that Bible because that Bible is where Andy hides his little hammer with which he chisels away to freedom. And actually, the little cutout space in the warden's Bible that he hides that hammer begins on the first page of Exodus, which is the story of God's deliverance of his people from bondage. So Andy suffers then a hell of sorts as he crawls uh, to freedom through 500 yards of prison sewer pipe, half filled with sewage, and comes out on the other side, cleansed by the river and the rain, and he raises his hands, bathed in light and freedom. And if you don't see the resurrection there, you haven't been watching. Because his empty cell is the beginning of the end for the regime of the evil warden. Judgment cometh, and that right soon reads the sign in his office. Friends, Jesus came here to set prisoners free. He came to set people free from prison. He came to set us free from prison. He suffered hell for us. He paid the ultimate price for us. And then he triumphed over death. And because Jesus rose again, his his resurrection has given us a living hope. It has given us an I know so hope that there is truly a better life waiting for us. And that kind of hope isn't a dangerous thing. That kind of hope is a necessary thing. See, at the end of Shawshank Redemption, um, Red, when he finally gets out of prison, he finds out that that life without hope can't sustain him. And so his only options are suicide or doing something that gets him put back into prison. Except that his friend Andy made a promise. And Red trusted that his friend would do what he said he would do. And so at the foot of a tree, at the foot of a tree, Red finds that Andy paid out of the treasure he acquired through suffering for Red to join him off the coast of Mexico, free and full of hope. 
And in the final scene, you see Red's friend Andy, dressed in white, rehabbing a fishing boat on the coastline, right on the edge of the blue Pacific. And Red, a free man, walking out to join him. Friends, Jesus' resurrection has given us a living hope. It has set us free from an empty way of life. It gives us a living hope that this isn't our home. Okay? We are strangers here. We have something better to look forward to. Hope makes us strangers here. So let's not live like this prison is our home. Let's live our lives as strangers here with the joyful living hope of Easter. Amen. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in true faith. In Jesus' name, amen.